Hello, I'm Gareth Mitchell and this is Click. Today, fake news perspectives today from Silicon Valley and the digital entrepreneurs in Africa, both in their own ways, thinking about improving the information flows that we all receive, whether online or through our more mainstream media channels. Bill Thompson's in the studio, though, so that's all good. We'll be discussing today what is real anymore. Like this story, I mean, after all, who was the most upset at reports of the death of the businessman Richard Branson? Well, the very much alive and well Richard Branson himself, he was probably a bit upset about it, especially if the news of his sad farewell, or his alleged sad farewell, turned up on his Facebook feed, as it kept doing on mine. Well, luckily, my own internal BS detector sounded the fake news alarm fairly rapidly, so I just carried on with my usual social media-related work avoidance, uh, I mean uh, research for this programme. Um, misinformation, of course, is nothing new, as we heard last week from classics professor Mary Beard. But fake news has become a news story in itself more recently because, well, frankly, it's just getting a bit silly now, isn't it? I mean, it's becoming political, it's undermining social media organisations and mainstream media. Twitter and Facebook, for their part, well, they are taking action, they say, but with so much being posted all the time, isn't it really like King Canute holding back the tide, trying to monitor and, in some cases, correct supposed fake news? Well, our Silicon Valley reporter, Alison Van Diggelen, has been seeking some answers from the big social networking companies and catching up with CEOs of startups, people like this. Technology has always been a source of incredible opportunity, unlimited potential pathway, and it's always been destructive. Jessica Rothenberg-Alami, CEO of CellEd, an online education startup, is just one of many critics who argue that social network platforms are not doing enough to curb the dark side of the Internet. It's always double-sided. By day, maybe it'll be used for education and health access and how to get a better job. But by night, it becomes a digital brothel. And so what should be done or could be done about that? Own it. Twitter not taking a stand around the blatant misogyny and hate language. Strange politeness in the face of atrocity is very frustrating. What do you feel people in positions like Sheryl Sandberg, Mark Zuckerberg, the Twitter board, what is the obligation on them? There's a responsibility to, at the very least, do one or two steps because untruth is seen as truth because it's relayed over a screen with a picture. You believe somebody's story. If that story is fundamentally a blatant lie, at least have a way to say untrue. Hashtag untrue. I took Rothenberg Alami's complaints to Twitter, who gave an off-the-record account of their new approach to abuse online. Twitter's VP, Ed Ho, is leading the online safety efforts and last week demonstrated his test-fast, fail-fast, adjust-fast mantra by rolling out a new feature, eliminating user list notifications, and then promptly reversing it within hours after an avalanche of user complaints. Last year, Twitter formed a Safety and Trust Council, partnering with over a dozen organizations to tackle online abuse. One of the members, Emma Lanzo, a director at the Center for Democracy and Technology, cautions against a one-size-fits-all solution. The same tools that can be very helpful in protecting against harassment, in blocking abusive content or uh, taking down accounts, can also be weaponized into tools of harassment themselves if you don't have the right safeguards in place. Although Twitter has promised an open dialogue, Emma Lanzo is concerned about a lack of transparency. 
if I had my druthers, uh, we would be getting a lot more reporting from Twitter about the numbers. What is the scope and the scale of the content moderation that they do? What is the amount of content that gets removed every day? What are the kind of the biggest issues? It would help people pin down, you know, what is the extent of harassment or terrorist content or hate speech? How are these moderation processes affecting public discourse? As for fake news, why can't Twitter and Facebook simply flag or censor what they deem fake? Lanzo has this advice. That puts way too much power in the company's hands. Having kind of one centralized decider is a really risky dynamic to set up. I asked Facebook to comment and was directed to Mark Zuckerberg's first post on fake news. We do not want to be arbiters of truth ourselves, he wrote, shortly after the U.S. election. Last week, Zuckerberg wrote this update. Our approach will focus less on banning misinformation and more on surfacing additional perspectives and information, including that fact-checkers dispute an item's accuracy. But Facebook fired its entire fact-checking editorial team after criticism last summer that it had a liberal bias and targeted right-wing fake news. Adam Schrader was one of those 25 editors. I think fake news impacted the election just by the sheer volume of it that appears on Facebook. Facebook has a uh, bubble problem. It can change your perception of the world. So um, even people who understand news and research can be tricked by fake news. Schrader told me he routinely flagged between 50 and 80 fake stories a day. He questions Mark Zuckerberg's claim that fake news on Facebook is less than 1%. I would question that statistic because I would think it would be much higher in the 5 to 10% range. Since December, Facebook has begun partnerships with five U.S. media outlets, including the Associated Press and Snopes, that flag suspect stories. But the AP's Lauren Easton told me that it's only fact-checked 36 stories since the project began. Facebook recently announced new fact-checking collaborations with German and French media. With national elections there this year, the pressure for Facebook and Twitter to tackle the deluge of fake news and abuse will only intensify. That's Alison Van Diggelen. So Bill Thompson was listening to that, and we should stress this whole idea of misinformation. It's nothing new, is it? I mean, we've only just started coining the term fake news. I know, I, I have a problem with the term because it's been around for a long time. Back in 2010, my Wikipedia entry was hacked to declare that I'd had a heart attack and died. And oh, I remember sat that. There, yeah, sat there for a few days. I corrected it on the grounds that you're allowed to edit your own Wikipedia entry if what you're doing is proving you're alive, because that's the evidence they need. And, you know, things went back to normal. It, it seems to me that, you know, th there are actually four different things going on here, at least. So there's the thing that was fake news, which is over lying by people who want to get clicks on their website and make money. There's fake news, which is propaganda designed to promote a particular ideology. There's just out-and-out -out lying, like Bill Thompson is dead, you know, maybe a joke, whatever reason. And then there's stuff people don't want you to read, which they call fake news, to distract you from what they're really saying. And, and the problem that, that Facebook 
Facebook and Twitter or everyone else have is that no single tool or approach or set of practices can possibly deal with all of those. So there will always be some material that, that fails to get stopped or fails to get flagged. And really, we just do need to be a, a better educated and more aware population to look out for these sorts of things and not instantly believe everything we read on a screen just because it's on a screen, surely. I absolutely agree. And that extends to things that people listen to on this radio programme. Any information you receive, just go and check it out for yourself. Learn how to check it. Absolutely. It's such an important skill. Always has been, but I suppose all the more pertinent given what's going on in these times. Okay, so that's a little bit about Silicon Valley and its issues with fake news. But meanwhile, a big fund for digital media innovation in Africa is putting up a million dollars to support more accurate news reporting. We'll leave it there. He's Bill Thompson. I'm Gareth Mitchell. The producer behind the glass is Colin Grant, and you're the listener. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye.